0: Section 19 of The Desirable Alien at Home in Germany by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 17, Part 2, Queen's Discrowned. Without being a Sophia later, I was deeply interested in this story of social doom and murder, and in my own way. I was chafed as i suppose maria and even sophia latus have been and will be chafed to the end of time by people whose imaginative faculty cannot be set going by anything but tragedies where the element of heroism or grandeur comes in my friends kindly escorted me to hanover that i might batten upon the relics and evidence of the Koot, which it pleases them to say is mine but they did not contrive that my morbid tastes should be fully fed and gratified by a sight of the very flag in the corridor of the Rittersaal, the corridor is parquet now, under which lies the body of koenigsmark the man who wrote those letters, the man who flirted with Countess Platten, the man who noticed the yellow cloak. The man whose mouth was stamped upon, who was hastily sepulchred, doused with quicklime on that night in June. This particular spot in the old Leinerschloss was the eye of the picture, and I was never inside the Leinerschloss. As we drove to Herrenhausen, we were due to pass it. So the guidebooks said, but the guidebooks were in German not until after the heat and battle of the day were over, when things had been missed and the conduct of the excursion opened to be severely criticised by the people who had been glad to profit by some self-constituted cicerone's superior knowledge of German and historical proportion, did I realise the omission. What we did on that warm April day was to drive in a hired fly solemnly round the residential quarter of Hanover for an hour. This is the only way to learn what Germany really is, so my German friends told me. I did not deny it. Only the suburbs of a town are depressing everywhere, and to drive in a taxi cab round and round, say, Hamilton Terrace or Addison Road, would produce just the same effect and stand for Germany just as well. A reasonable interest in the monuments of the past is a very proper thing, but to confuse the disorderly array of houses which are to be found in the London suburbs with the carefully planned and extremely interesting groups of dwellings that surround modern German cities is evidence of a mind ill-trained to observation in its infancy and unaware of the most urgent of civic problems of the present day. The outskirts of Hanover are the very best model for the outskirts of London, and just as this city in the past gave to England reasonable and utilitarian rulers, so she might today, to the same country, give plans for a reasonable and utilitarian development of modern cities, which can never be very romantic things. J.L.F.M.H. footnote. On the road to Herrenhausen, under the long bordered avenue that reminded me of the old birdcage walk, we did pass a dull, ugly, negligible building, and the eager, polite coacher made a small detour to drive us past the facade, where the white horse of Hannover stood and ramped like a great grey, full-fed ghost. The horse was impressive, and reconciled me to the detour, and that was all. This was the old Leinerschloss, modernised outside but practically unchanged within. Here this conjuries of ill-conditioned, ill-tempered people lived and loved and fested in their unwholesome pleasures and shabby, squalid vices. The family history of this family beats most hideous family histories, baiting that of the Chenchi and the House of Judah. Well, there it was. All these tragedy folk had pattered about, been born, married, murdered, and died in their sanctimonious beds here. They had worthy and unworthy all dreed their weird behind these grey, unattractive walls, and I was driven past it. Joseph Leopold, you see, had the guide books, and he did not care for the old shell, the withered slough of squalid politically uninteresting folk. I told him a little story of my youth. I had a witty mother, and I had what was known as the Irving craze very badly in my girlhood. I had just seen the divine actor in Richard III, and I was taken over Barnard Castle in Yorkshire, one of the palaces of the kingmaker. I betrayed an unusual interest in historical detail concerning the Tudors, the Nevilles, and the House of York. I plagued everybody for information. I insisted on going over the ruined castle from Garret to Oubliette. I bored the party who wanted food and less historical detail. At my last question, my mother turned. Yes, she said, Henry Irving did give this castle to Miss Isabel Bateman. And now let's all go and have tea. The disappointment about the Leinerschloss was wiped out a little further along the road. We came to the Herrenhausen. a yellowish, fawn-coloured building of a cheap style and fabric, low and crouching. That is how the Stammhaus of the Hanoverian kings of England appeared to me. I did not think it so very like Kensington Palace. I had always been told it was a copy. Kensington Palace is stately rather high, of a dark, dignified red brick. The stateliness of Kensington may be due to the new chimney-stacks added in early Victorian days to the commanding ridge of the coping stones all along the face, and tinkered up quite lately since it became a museum, but the mean, cheap-looking yellow-and-white plaster that covers the bulk of the Palace of Herrenhausen hopelessly belittles it all the german palaces are said to be copies of versailles kensington palace is far more like versailles than herrenhausen we drove as it seemed to me for nearly a quarter of a mile along a low range of little houses like a row of pitman's cottages in england but painted yellow and white in a garish crudity that would not appeal to an englishman These little one-storey dwellings, one-door, two-windows, built obviously for coachmen and officials attached to the royal service, led the eye gradually to a main building into which they melted, and I said, this must be Herrenhausen." Kensington Palace necessarily housed its multiplicity of officials, its grooms and stablemen, but their establishments do not and did not form part of the main façade the arrangement of the german palace is less snobbish perhaps we know the georges were very simple folk there is a humble building just inside the great gate of kensington gardens where one used to buy soda water and ginger beer and gingerbread biscuits in eighteen seventy it was then exactly like the little erections of which i speak that are annexed to the palace of the Georges in Herrenhausen. In Kensington Gardens, the little square box of a house still stands, but it is no longer painted yellow, and I don't think you can get soda water there any more. We got out. The palace in front of us gleamed a chalky white and yellow in the raw spring sunlight. There was an acre of small cobblestones in front of it, and a sufficiency of ostlers pails and pumps with brooms propped up against them no human being could be seen the windows all had formal linen blinds and these blinds were drawn the palace is not shown it is not shown because it is actually inhabited by the owner and yet it is empty There was nothing very romantic about the lust house of a fat, stupid, boozy family like that of the Georges, but now for the first time romance has entered its doors. This is what I thought when Joseph Leopold told me the reason of the present state of affairs. Herrenhausen is the property of an exile for conscience' sake, the Duke of Cumberland, the proscribed king of Hanover. Footnote. This was written in 1912. End footnote. He cannot live in his own house, in his own kingdom, because he is subject to arrest. He refuses and has refused for years to take the oath of allegiance to Prussia. How very vital looking on this death in life of a fair mansion, this shell of an ineffectual royalty, seemed the principle for which this man and his family are fighting, and for whose abstract sake endure an honoured but nomadic existence. You might have met the dispossessed duke anywhere during the last twenty years in England, opening bazaars at the baths and cures of his country, at any of the cities excepting the one city where he properly belonged. You might have met him in Berlin, on the Unter den Linden, maybe. I fancy the Kaiser and he were not bad friends, they were at any rate relatives. Yet if he had walked into his own Principality of Hanover, he was liable to be arrested at sight like a malefactor. He has chosen his line. Herrenhausen is inhabited, though no one is in it. At his other country seat, Wilhelmsburg, he keeps thirty beds made up, all this is on the chance of his being able, through some change in the political arena, to swoop down upon his own and occupy it. Is it not romantic to think that in this opportunist stage there is still a potentate who prefers exile to abasement? Our kutcher was excessively anxious that we should first of all visit the towering glass-domed conservatory opposite the palace which was built and presented to the inhabitants of Hanover by their very generous prince, but the mere sight of it made my eyes ache. So we paid him and allowed him to abandon us in front of the building in the fond hope that he had brought us to where we wished to be, to the haven of our desires. Remember, he had been bidden to drive us round the suburbs of Hanover, merely taking the old town on our way, He must have been terribly out in his calculations of our tastes, but we walked on. We passed the glass-house of the Duke of Cumberland, we have no better at Kew, we never looked round, or else we would have seen our Chicharone's despair of his client's curious obtuseness and faulty sense of direction. And in that part of the garden so casually attained to, I had a vision, or shall I call it an adventure? Not of versailles but of herrenhausen i seemed to myself to be in a dream as i walked soberly quiet as a tourist mouse by the side of joseph leopold i did not even take his arm though i was possessed by a strange emotion of fear lest i should totter and call for support during this excursion into my subconscious as indeed it was supposing i felt the need for readjustment of time and space of the past with the present i might grasp this kind german convexity and be saved from falling but i hoped all the while that this would not happen for i was enjoying the furtive emotion raised to me with all my might of conscious sensation we were walking actually in a small rectangular garden bordered on one side by high-cut hedges and on the other by low pollarded willows on the edge of what i apprehended then to be water though as a matter of fact i believe there was no water there the lowness of the willows and the lighter flatness reminded me of a dutch landscape and the semi enclosed space where we were walking suggested the foreground of a piece of medieval tapestry with its weft of dull green and warp of strange vividly picked-out flowers there is a morris wallpaper called the daisy that was constantly hung and renewed in my old home which had something of the same effect as the parterre in which joseph leopold and i were now walking there were two narrow and rectangular strips of grass dotted spotted in the regular medieval fashion of tapestry with yellow and white flowers Born up on strong, limber, upstanding stems, like the spears of grass that interspersed them, which was likewise firm and broad and tall. And at the end of the formal strip, lost, diminished, in a sort of exaggerated dream perspective, was a small grey Greek temple. It occupied the whole breadth of the end of the rectangular strip of green, and it had a background of dark sacrificial trees. I think they were ewes and we walked orderly along i fancy at one point there was a kind of check to the integrity of my vision the sight of our late kutcher standing by the opening in the yew hedge waving his arms and crying nicht da nicht da we had passed the glass dome unnoticed and were walking in a mere wilderness of strong weeds daisies and dandelions on my bemused ears too, there smote the healthy sound of the whetstone at work on one of the gardener's sides. But we walked on towards the temple that stood for us like a full stop of solemnity to the flowery commerce that led up to it. It was merely a tool house where wheelbarrows and mowing machines were propped against ionic columns green with damp, but it had served probably for all sorts of lumbering german fête champetre and their periwig gentlemen and painted patched ladies had languidly adjusted their vapid loves now small grey bosset sinister serious it served to put the finishing touch to the submergence of my consciousness under waves of memory I definitely then lost all sense of time and place as i walked along self-supporting beside joseph leopold the kutcher with the waving arms faded away the sound of the scythe being sharpened somewhere in the neighbourhood to cut down the robust flowers and grass died out and i became again a child in kensington gardens unconscious of impressions as all children are but possessed of the usual plastic memory that stores up unvalued mind pictures wherewith to overwhelm the mature intelligence in the years to come for the scene was so nearly identical as to act as a reminder but in those days instead of joseph leopold and the kutcher there was a palace official two german nurses talking to each other on the other side of a slight iron fence Composed of two thin transverse bars, and four small children divided equally by these bars. The two, of which I was one, were in stout boots and socks and bore hoops and hoopsticks. The other two were throned in a chaise drawn by a white donkey. There was a red brick palace in the background and a Greek temple in plaster behind. A babel of different German patois rent the air. The two children inside were very young and only liked their hands stroked they were little techs and the palace was kensington palace but the westphalian nurse of the children of alfred hunt the painter could not long be allowed to exchange ideas and dialects with the hessian nurse of the future queen of england and the stern official in charge of the little royal party warned our from Paderborn, that it must not be. The white donkey on this last morning of many mornings passed on firmly and finally. But not until I left that rectangular strip of grass and flowers did I become middle-aged again, and Joseph Leopold never knew, only was a little mildly interested when I gripped his arm and pointed at the temple, Just as a few drops of rain began to fall in the days to which i had been temporarily switched back we should have taken refuge nurse children perambulator and all in that temple and bored ourselves with playing hide-and-seek round the pillars there were plenty of greek temples like this in kensington gardens in the old times a little later on in the tiny family museum at herrenhausen i took license to linger long over certain presses full of mouldy faded garments of all sorts coats laced with pale gold and silver that had graced a george's broad chest and narrow chested high-shouldered dresses that had held the firm proud flesh of queens but now flapped dispiritedly on hooks or on dummies that seemed to shrink away and refused to bear out these royal rags with any pride. I noticed during a lull of the irritating old ex-military custodian's voice a velvet cape of a faded mousy brown. Its paleness moved me more than eloquence. I remember wearing one very like it myself in the fifteen years ago that seems now so much more early than even early Victorian this little wretched wrap was hidden away behind some garments that had belonged to caroline matilda sophia's descendant and another discrowned queen caroline matilda was the sister of george the third she was supposed to be beautiful but she had thick lips and a stumpy figure it is possible to judge for she was evidently a very dressy sort of person so that clothes of hers are constantly cropping up in museums. She was supposed to be clever, for she could quote to be or not to be very much a trop and a travers. They married her to a sottish King Christian of Denmark, whose mother Juliana got rid of her on a possibly trumped-up story of infidelity as soon as was convenient, executed her supposed lover, And bestowed the daughter-in-law with her hanoverian relations for the end of her days she would have fared worse if she had not been a daughter of england and a subject for the interposition of lord keith england's ambassador both their dreary queenships must have worshipped in the hideous wrecked blue-tinged chapel at cellar and prayed kneeling in their little close stuffy royal pews for moral support and better days that never came, adding if one knows them at all, a touch of the combination service a l'adresse of spiteful stepmothers-in-law named respectively Sophia and Juliana, both must have dragged their ugly, heavy clothes and heavier hearts along the pleached walks among the boxwood mazes of the palace of Herrenhausen must have appeared and disappeared and reappeared again behind those high chamis, designed, one supposes, to mask secret meetings, but where the singed moths of scandal now wander alone. For what courtier would dare to repeat the disastrous flirtations that had cost both Koenigsmark and Schruensee their lives? One dress, labelled as that of Caroline Matilda's, looked as if the careless, despairing wearer had subjected it to very rough treatment. The delicate peach-blossom silk had been dragged through wastes of autumn leaves. I was sure of it. It was spring now, but I knew the place where, in the fall of the year, the brown, dusty, parchment-like flakes must have lain in heaving drifts under the trees that had borne them. When the custodian was not attending, I stooped. And examined the hem of that dress. Yes, it was discolored, and it turned up weakly, pathetically, just as my own dresses do if I let them trail in inappropriate places. The years were dissolved for the moment, as the custodian droned on about the glories of some royal George or other, male relations of the suppressed female of their blood. There was so little between me, a woman staring through the past with a travel-stained skirt on of my own probably and another woman who had been so unhappy some hundred years ago or so that she had not trouble to hold up her gown as she tramped aimlessly through an autumn-coloured park the fallen leaves billowing flying up all round her knees clad in the neglected peach-blossom silk that didn't matter now that she was alone yes i am sure she walked alone she was thinking of the days when things were nicer as women say when she walked in the gardens at kew or kensington and there were no dead leaves and but servile people buzzing about her listening politely to her misquotations of shakespeare or later of the short sweet time in copenhagen when she was a crowned queen with a disagreeable mother-in-law, a brutish husband, but consideration and a crown. Now, I tucked the dress back in the glass cupboard and sneaked back into the wake of the custodian, feeling chilly and grown old. End of section 19